0: All right, we're going to start today's uh, message with a question for you. Have you ever read a book that approached a subject from another angle, a different angle altogether than maybe you've approached or thought of something? And in doing so, it gave you just a totally different understanding. The taped Letters, published in 1942, is that it's written by C.S. Lewis. He was a former atheist turned Christian who at the time was a professor of medieval literature at Oxford University. And he writes the screw tape letters from the perspective of a demon, specifically an older, more experienced demon writing, uh, writing to a less experienced one named Wormwood. Screw tape's the expert or older one, Wormwood's the younger one. And he's trying to give, guide him on how to tempt, distract, discourage human beings from engaging in anything related to God. It's written as a series of letters, and so one of the striking things about this book is how God is called our enemy throughout the book. Our enemy, our enemy, our enemy, when re- referring to God. Now in that book, there's this one line where Tape writes to Wormwood, you see behind me, he says, he, as in God, he really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself. Creatures whose life on its miniature scale will be qualitatively like his own, not because he has absorbed them, but because their wills freely conform to his. He wants lives that are qualitatively like his own. That's what Jesus is interested in. And last week we said if you're a disciple of Jesus, he will send you out on his mission. And we ended our time with this call to say yes to going on his mission. And today we're going to look at how he wants us to go. So if you go to Matthew chapter 10, this part of Matthew's gospel is commonly called Jesus' Sermon on Mission. And this is what it says starting in verse 1, and then we're going to jump down to verse 9. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness, verse 9, If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Father in heaven, you from whom all the families on earth have their names, it's you that we come to now in the name of Jesus. We are your people, and we need to hear from you. And we ask for you to speak to the deepest parts of our soul today, that we may know you as the God who sends his people to go out on mission as he would. Give us ears to hear, Lord, and the courage and the faith to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning... Our big idea is that when Jesus sends us out on mission, he sends us out to do it as he would. How we go on mission matters just as much as going out does. And Jesus' mission is to bring his kingdom on earth, for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And in the kingdom, humanity and God are reconciled to one another. Humanity is actually reconciled to one another as well. And wherever Jesus goes, you see that happening, that people are experiencing forgiveness, that they're cleansed of their sicknesses, illnesses, they're healed, people are brought back to life, that their people are set free from demonic oppression, that people are made whole in Jesus' presence, which is why he goes around saying, declaring his good news is that the kingdom of heaven has come near. He's saying it's come near in me. And he goes out not just bringing the kingdom, but teaching what it's like who God is, what he is like, calling people to be with him and to learn how to dwell as citizens of his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven isn't something that's coming off far away, something we have to wait for. It's something that's in session. It's something that's found in Jesus. And through him, heaven is invading earth in the present. This is why Jesus says, come and follow me. And what motivates Jesus' mission We've talked about that for a while. It's compassion. Compassion for the lost and hurting. He sees a people who are like sheep without a shepherd, who are harassed and hurting, and it moves him. Compassion for the lost and hurting is what moves Jesus to send out his disciples. He sends them out to preach. The kingdom of heaven has come near, to teach what the kingdom's like, and to heal. And he gives his disciples authority to actually do this. But he also sends us out to do it as if we were him not as robots, but of the same quality. Because how we go on mission matters just as much as going out. And in this message, what I want to do is try to highlight maybe six themes that come out of Jesus' Sermon on Mission. What makes Jesus' Sermon on Mission challenging compared to his other sermons in the Gospel of Matthew is that there isn't, uh, it doesn't seem like there's this actual flow. It seems like there's these different ideas that are kind of connected, but you don't have the same flow you might capture in the Sermon on the Mount. And so there's themes that you can capture. And so what I want to do is try to highlight six of them. Here's the first one. Go together. Go together. Not alone. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority, and then he sends them out to go and do as he does. He didn't call Peter and say, hey, Peter, I want you to go out on your own. He didn't send them out on a mission alone. You don't do life on your own with Jesus. You don't follow Jesus on your own, and He doesn't send you out on your own. Mission is shared. Jesus doesn't send us out on His own. In Matthew the ten don't just uh, in Matthew ten the disciples aren't sent out by themselves. And if you read in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus sends out seventy two, He doesn't send them out by themselves either. The disciples were really, really different people. Fishermen, tax collectors, some who are business-minded, some who are more pragmatic, some who are very contemplative and slower and more thoughtful, some who have pol- political ambitions and want uh, believe previous to coming to Jesus that the kingdom would come through this violent overthrow. John is this contemplative guy. Peter seems more hot-headed. And yet Jesus sends them out together. When you read the New Testament, you actually see the disciples going out together. The church doesn't go out on their own. They're often sent as a group, as, as, as a duo, as two or three. They evangelize together. They were a team, not a solo unit. And yet somehow you and I, when we hear mission, we often think that it means going out on our own. But you're not on two different levels. One is that the Holy Spirit has already been at work. In the lives of your friends, your family, your co workers. He's at work in our city way before you and I ever showed up. We are not on our own. That's a false understanding. We're not sent out on our own. The Holy Spirit's already at work and we're going to join him in what he's doing. But we've also been given a team the church, his people. And I get this is challenging. Like, there are times where we we feel like we are on our own. I remember doing my undergrad, both at SFU and and at uh, Douglas. And most of my classes, I felt like I was kind of on my own when it came to faith. But one of the things that I would do is I would talk to other friends and ask them to pray. I would pray. I found other people in, in those classes. In one case, it was someone who actually returned to Jesus through those prayers. It wasn't like I was just doing it by myself. You can pray with other people in your community group for someone. You can invite someone to Alpha. There's ways that you can actually live into this, that you're not alone, that you're part of a team. What's more true of you right now, though, when you think about your life, that you're operating as if you are part of a team with different roles to play, perhaps, in this person's life, or more like it's just a solo person on mission, sometimes doing it, sometimes not, sometimes not really interested. See, the mission, when you go out and you recognize that you've been sent out as a team, you will be bonded to one another through those shared experiences. Some of my closest friends, those friendships were forged through serving together. And you can be different, but you come together and you serve on mission. And the hardships, the pains, the the failures, all those things end up bonding you together. Secondly, go simply. Verse 9 and 10 read, don't go, don't go get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts, no bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or stuff. For the worker is worth his keep. And part of this is about your, added, your heart's attitude towards money, comfort, and prosperity. If you're a disciple of Jesus, the goal of your life is not to make the most money, to be the most comfortable, to live the most proper, prosperous life. If you're a disciple of Jesus... You're sent on his mission. And your task is not to turn his mission into finding prosperity. You've freely received, Jesus will say in this sermon. Now you freely give. Don't go on mission telling people about Jesus in order to gain wealth. There are people who will sell preaching and healing as if they were these commercial goods. And when that happens, it's no longer the real thing. It's not about that kind of life. You're a disciple of Jesus, sent on his mission, and so feeling comfortable, safe, relaxed all the time is not the end goal of his mission. And that's why Jesus says you cannot carry all these extra things with you. Why? Because the call is to seek his kingdom first, not to secure the bag. Because Jesus doesn't want us to live our lives overcomplicated by so many different competing interests. And this is more real than you and I want to admit. You can say, well, Alex, well, I'm not really rich. I don't have a ton. You should look at my bank account. But it's only because we're comparing ourselves to the richest in the world and not to the rest of the global population. We're forgetting the country that we live in. We're forgetting like the context that we're living in, that this moment in human history that we're living in. We inhabit a culture that is centered on being a consumer. That's like one of the primary ways we think. A classic example is Google Reviews. Every time we leave a Google Review, we are centering ourselves as a consumer, and whether or not that company or whatever delivered a good. And it's so easy then to apply that into our life with Jesus and to apply that to the church as if the church has these goods to offer, and that's not the way we are meant to live. Our economies have become so dependent on us just consistently accumulating more that it's actually planned that things won't work even though they could work if someone would actually allocate energy and resources for that to be able to be fixed. And the thing is, without noticing, we become attached to our possessions. Then the things aren't even bad, outright bad, in and of themselves. They're good things or benign things that we just have allowed to become snares to us. We've allowed them to become reasons we aren't actually engaging in His mission. They've become distractions. This could be your phone, it could be your car, a hobby, a specific goal, a relationship, a career, or something. They're not actually bad things, but they consume us. We become so attached to them that we're actually not really interested in engaging in what Jesus would have us do. That's when it becomes a problem. Not that you actually have that thing in your life. Do you see that difference? One is really extreme. If you think, oh, I shouldn't have a relationship, I shouldn't have hobbies, that's not what Jesus would say at all. It's when we become so attached to them that we actually begin to ignore what Jesus would have for us. And so two different questions we can ask ourselves are, can I do this without it pulling my attention away from what he wants me to do? Can you do this without it pulling your attention from what he wants for you? But the second is asking God... What would it look like to redirect your attention to what Jesus wants to do there, in that place? See, the other reason why Jesus doesn't tell, tell, tells us not to carry all this stuff is because that's not how he lived. That's not how he went out. Jesus, yes, had wealthy friends. He had wealthy donors supporting his ministry. He wasn't against people having money. But if you're going to go out, you cannot carry all this stuff. It will get in the way You can't be overly attached to it. He wants us to learn to live in trust that our Father in heaven can provide what we need, that he knows what we need, and he'll provide it. He wants to experience the thrill of seeing God provide, of God making a way. Third, we focus on the receptive. Verse 11 through 15 read, Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person. Stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. I'm going to stop there. I just want to highlight a couple words. One is peace and the other is worthy. Peace, let your peace rest on the home. The peace you have is Jesus Christ. You have something Jesus has given you, peace, wholeness, shalom, and he has sent you to share it on his behalf with others. You have it, you carry him with you, and when you enter into these places, it is available for you to offer it to others. But there's this other word that you probably noticed, and it's worthy. Look for some worthy person. and Worthy here is not about like looking at people and you deciding, oh, are they worthy or not. That is not... You won't be able to recognize that at all. When Matthew uses this word worthiness, what he is talking about is this... Um, receptivity to the gospel and its messengers. So you cannot, there is no way you can immediately know who is receptive. You must discover by searching, by attempting to talk about it. You cannot make that decision for other people. If someone's not interested, let your peace return to you. They don't want it. Respect someone's wishes. Don't get bogged down by people who aren't interested in Jesus. Focus on the receptive. It doesn't mean never, ever talk about it again with them. But Jesus is surprisingly clear here that he does want us to focus on those who are receptive. And then next one, go in weakness, wisdom, and innocence. Verse 16 says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Jesus uses a very familiar image but not all of us would like to use this image about ourselves. Why doesn't Jesus say, I am sending you out as a lion among wolves? I am sending you out as eagles among vultures. I am sending you out as orcas among great whites. If you know that one, you know. You know what's real there. If you have children, they probably make you watch all the videos. Sheep are not mighty. Sheep are not dangerous animals they're not strong they're vulnerable they're weak most stories you hear about them aren't about them being mighty or strong it's about them like falling falling and getting stuck in some ditch and then getting rescued and then falling back in maybe um, you hear something about them uh, like those sheep in uh, New Zealand there's a photo I don't know if uh, Angela's already showed it or not here it is you hear stories like this this, this sheep was found wandering in 2015, and he holds the record for having grown the heaviest fleece on record. It was over 90 pounds. These are the types of things we think about when we think about sheep. Not exactly the most exciting like image of Jesus. this is who you're sending me out as among Amen. wolves. I look, I, he looks plump. And what's, what's worse, though, is that Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Wolves are predators. Wolves are strong, fast, violent. They hunt in packs. They attack sheep. They're not really friends. And this is a troubling image, and yet if you've been paying attention to his sermon on mission, it's also a little bit confusing. Because Jesus is now saying his disciples are sheep, but earlier he called the world sheep. In the beginning of his sermon on mission, he begins with this idea that uh, he has this compassion for the crowds because they are like sheep without a shepherd. Now Jesus said, "I am sending you out as sheep among wolves." So how does that work? What are they? Are they sheep or are they wolves? They're both. See, Jesus understands the complexity of human beings. That the same person who is a uh, helpless and harassed sheep can become a snarling wolf. That human beings have the capacity to demonstrate amazing compassion, kindness, creativity, but they have the terrifying capacity to inflict great suffering on others. And this captures this complexity of human beings. The desperate need for help and for a guide, for healing, but also the reluctance to even admit it. I read about this story recently of this guy who was climbing Mount Everest, and he was in what's called like the death zone because of the the, the amount of oxygen there, and he had um, stopped hiking and was just on the side, and he didn't have a guide. And normally you want like a, a, a Sherpa guide to take you up. This guy didn't have that. And now a Sherpa guide was leading this other guy up, and he found this guy on the floor, And he knew he would die if he left him. And so he stopped their trek all the way up to the top of Everest and with another friend, like taped him up in a sleeping bag, threw him on his back and brought him back down to one of the summits where they could uh, have him helicoptered out. Now, that's pretty remarkable. It was like six hours of uh, carrying this guy down. He said it was uh, incredibly difficult and why it got into the news was because after that guy got rescued and he survived, the other one had uh, posted about how, this, how crazy it was to be able to actually save him. And the guy that got rescued blocked him on, on, like, uh, on social media and, and then actually thanked his, his sponsors for rescuing him, not the guy who had saved him. And it was only until the, the whole like, Everest community apparently is really tight and it all blew up and they, um, uh, he got called out for it, that he finally, like, thanked uh, the Sherpas in general for it. Like, it wasn't even direct. And that picture of this guy in desperate need for help, but a reluctance to even want to admit it, that he was rescued. Name, capture something that's at work in human beings. Not just that one guy. Like, we look at them and are like, come on, man, you're a jerk. But there's far more of that in our hearts than we want to admit. And Jesus says, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Daryl Bruner puts it like this. I'm sorry, Frederick Dale Bruner says, The world is in the paradoxical double situation of needing mission like sheep and of resisting it like wolves. Jesus sends you out as sheep among wolves. And this means that he's sending you out in this way of weakness, of vulnerability, of nonviolence. So, why does Jesus use this image to talk about the way that he wants us to go out, to to talk about what we're going to be doing? I want to just offer three reasons. One is to make us aware that we are vulnerable. There are wolves. This isn't a cakewalk. You won't always be safe because there's a presence of wolves. Jesus is saying, I am not sending you out on a crusade to conquer others. I am not sending you out to physically dominate others. I am not sending you out to hate. I am not sending you out to lead a revolution in the way that political movements have done. That's not the way I send out my people because that's not the way I have come. You were to go out vulnerable, vulnerable because that's how I have come to you. Think of the incarnation. He came to us as an infant, born into poverty, unknown, dependent and weak. And now he sends out his people. If you're going to identify with me, this is what it means. If you're going to go on my mission, this is what it means. Secondly, he came to remind us that we have a good shepherd who suffered for us. You were sent as sheep, yes, but you have to remember that you are sheep who who have a shepherd. You are sheep who know your shepherd's voice. You don't just listen to any old voice, but the one who says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. He's the shepherd. He knows where we are at all times. He doesn't abandon us. He knows what we need. He watches over us, and he will lead. He knows what's best for his sheep, and his way leads to flourishing for your good, for your transformation. We know that because our shepherd has willingly laid down his life for us, we can trust him. You see, our shepherd was also a lamb. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He absorbs the sin of the world. He doesn't repay evil for evil. He loves and prays for his enemy. And you see that on the cross where he says, Father, forgive them. And third is to remind us that he is the way. See, there's something about following Jesus that means we will be like him. We will be vulnerable to rejection, suffering, And attacks that Jesus also encountered. And like Jesus, you and I must not become bitter when that happens. When we face that pressure, what comes out of our lives cannot be this vengefulness, this bitterness. But the heart of Jesus, we cannot become wolves. On a redemptive level, not salvation, but on a redemptive level, level, we must be people who say, This thing that has been done to me, I will not pass on to others. It stops with me. We absorb it through His love and His forgiveness. So you are a worker sent out into a harvest and your sheep, but you cannot do this the way the world would expect you to. You can't force this, you can't make this happen, you can't do it in your own power. That's why you need to know you're being sent out in weakness and vulnerability. And when you do, you will discover a new kind of power that comes from the Spirit of God, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit. The Lamb of God sends you out, and he sends you out on his mission as sheep. And I think that's why Jesus will add these two next things, where he says, therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. He doesn't say, be a snake. Nor does he say, be sneaky and bite people the way snakes do, or startle you like snakes do. He doesn't say that. He's highlighting the cunning and intelligent parts of snakes. He says, be as wise, be intelligent, be shrewd. He's not sending us out to be foolish, unintelligent, careless. In other words, don't be foolishly vulnerable. Oh, sorry, stupidly vulnerable. Don't be stupidly vulnerable is how one guy put it. Jesus isn't asking us to be careless with our lives to go out looking for dangerous situations where people will attack. That's not what he's saying. Later on, in this same sermon, in in verse 23, Jesus will say, when you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. He doesn't say, just stand there and take it. Flee to another. If you're wise, you will never overestimate the kindness of wolves. If you're wise, you'll never let the beauty of a place distract you from the reality of wolves. This doesn't mean, though, that we pull back and retract. We hide and never show ourselves. It just means you're not naive about what you're stepping into. And he also says, be as innocent as doves. Innocent as doves. Innocent in the sense that there's no mixed motives. There's pure motives. There is no evil or selfishness or greed or manipulation or seeking revenge. No passive aggressive not, none of that doves in the uh, are in the world of birds what sheep are in the world of beasts peaceful harmless and nonviolent and the classic example in the old testament you can see of a uh, someone being as wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove was david with saul David has this anointing to be king. Saul is the king and threatened by David and actually wants to try to kill him repeatedly. And yet David never repays Saul's evil by trying to actually get revenge. He honors him. And even in those one or two moments where he actually feels this deep sense of conviction, he, like, repents. He turns from him. He was smart around him. He was careful not to put himself in extreme danger, but he never repaid his threats and attempts to kill him with evil. I find it interesting that the order of what Jesus did here. He tells us to, like, to go lightly, to focus on the receptive, and then he says, I'm sending you out as sheep so you be as wise as, as, or as shrewd as snakes. And I can't help but think that there's this, there's this wisdom in not being overly attached our stuff, that there's this wisdom in focusing on the receptive, that there's this wisdom in being aware that you are going in vulnerable. But then there's this part here where he says, and I want you to be pure, like I want you to be innocent as doves. You're not going in aggressively, carelessly, selfishly, trying to build up your name, trying to assert your way. You're taking on my way. And I get when you, when you see what he calls us and how he wants us to go, it feels off. It just does. It, it almost like it doesn't fit. They don't feel strong. They don't really feel inspired. In fact, you might be sitting here being like, wow, like, I'm looking forward to lunch. Because this doesn't inspire me. This picture of what Jesus has doesn't um, pull me in. And I think you're right, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the way that our world would say you need to go out. But I think more deeply they, they feel off because they capture this difference of Jesus. They characterize Jesus' entirely different approach to life. Jesus will say in John's Gospel, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And then he says, I do not give to you as the world gives. The peace he gives us isn't from our world, but it's for our world. It's otherworldly. It's different. Jesus will say in John 18, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. There is something otherworldly about Jesus, yet something about him that our world was made for. And this makes sense when you think of our own lives and when you think of our world. Our own way hasn't worked. Look at your life. Look at this week up in the moments where you did something apart from him. How has it gone when you live in your own strength? Look at humanity building civilizations apart from Jesus. They're wonderfully creative and complex and yet woefully broken and divided. We human beings are simultaneously helpless and harassed and these dangerous wolves. And so what Jesus is asking us to do is to take his way, to embody his way, Not just to say yes to going. Don't just try to do this in your own wisdom. You need to take off your old ways and to put on Christ, the new you that is born or birthed the moment you begin trusting him. And when you do this, something remarkable happens. Your life will be qualitatively like Jesus's, not because he has absorbed you, but because your will has freely conformed to his. And that image of many Christs in our world causes the gates of hell to tremble, but also brings joy and celebration in the heavens. And not just in the heavens, here on earth, which is what he has come to bring. So Father in heaven, we come before you. And we confess that there is much about the way that Jesus sends us out that feels challenging to where we are now. We confess that in our hearts, at our best moments, we want to trust and obey you. And in many other moments, we're afraid, we're reluctant, and we're uncomfortable. And so, Lord, I ask that you would fill our hearts with your love, which is able to cast out fear. I ask that you would give us your strength, your power, that we would come to you, Jesus, and receive the strength that you give, the peace that you give, that you have authorized us to bring into this world. And I ask that we would experience your joy as we partner with you in what you wanna do in our world. That we would be made whole, that we would see others made whole. And so Jesus, we thank you for the great privilege it is to be part of your work in this world. And that you're so committed to us and this world. And we pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to take.